0: Hey, how are you guys? It's my favorite day of the week. This is This Week in Pharmacy. My name is Todd Urey. I'm the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Um, Wow. It has been a crazy week. I can't wait to share with everyone what's been going on in our amazing industry. Um, I'm exhausted, to tell you the truth. I can't wait for this weekend. Uh, If you're out there you're On Twitter right now, uh, watching if you're on YouTube watching, let us know, uh, that you're watching. If you'd use hashtag twer- twerks, <laughs> it's twerks, t w i r x twerks. Um, just give us a shout out, let us know what you think of the new show and um, how your life's going. Um, so let's start out with. Something that I'm really excited to share, and that is, yesterday was National Pharmacist Month, so I want to give a shout out to all of you pharmacists out there. You are my heroes. Um, everything that you're doing throughout the nation, I know what you're going through in your retail jobs, in your specialty setting, your long-term care setting. I care about you. If there's anything that our organization could ever do for you, please reach out to us. I would love to hear from you. But it was a celebration yesterday and it was on top of our celebrating the pharmacy 50 and the pharmacy 50 is a award that we launched in 2021 it featured the top uh, 50 most influential pharmacists in our nation based on your votes based on the votes that came from uh the peers uh the industry professionals that are out there other pharmacists that are out there And I just want to give a shout out to the um, to the to the voters, to the people that were uh, voted in Um, Mary Douglas, Dr. Douglas Smith, uh, Alyssa Vereen, Dr. Vereen, Dr. Um, Brian Leonard, uh, Tara Schneider, Dr. Schneider, Dr. Cecilia Byers with SureScripts, Dr. Shada uh, Coldry, uh, Anthony um, Antonio Chacha. Antonio is not a pharmacist. There were, uh, this is pharmacy professionals. So um, Antonio is, if you don't know him, you have to look him up. He is the leading lobbyist uh, for us, in my opinion, for when I say us, I mean the pharmacy profession to write the ship of the world of of PBMs and PBM reform. And you do not want to get on his bad side. Um, He will data analytic uh, you out of (laughs) your money to make sure that you aren't uh, robbing uh, taxpayers blind. Um, Doctor Saley, I'll tell you what. She's a brand new uh, pharmacy podcast uh, member and host uh, with Resi um, uh, Three Hundred and Sixty, and she's going to jump into the world of um, of of building your career as a resident and the world uh, that you go through 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 that. And what do you know, Doctor Blood Tenoi? Um, returned to the top 10 uh, because of her building and working uh, with pizzas not working so if you don't know what pizza is not working is please look up go to Google right now put in hashtag pizza is not working and advocacy for pharmacists in the workplace to assure that there's balance between how many uh, technicians and how many pharmacists are, are in your uh, retail community pharmacy for the really it's it's Trying to get these national chains to start paying attention to the the needs of our pharmacists and our technicians and the workload that they have to go through, just like any physician, any nurse with lunch breaks, um, you and me when we when we work and and what we do every day. Uh, I I also want to talk about how advocacy internal to the pharmacy industry is so important. And if you haven't read up on the um, the Pharmacy 50, you have to go to our website, go to our news section, and it will go through all of the influencers, um, all 50 of them, amazing people, that uh, we're going to have each of these guests at some point become involved in our programming, whether it's an interview, uh, whether we meet you up at a conference. Um, which reminds me, there are conferences that the Pharmacy Podcast Network will be attending and we'd like to meet up with you there. I don't know how many conferences you go to. If you don't go to conferences, try to get to at least one in 2022. It's a really good way to not only build your understanding of what's happening in the pharmacy industry, but some of these conferences are absolutely phenomenal. I am honored to be a speaker at the healthcare information and technology, uh, marketing, um, conference, and it's known as HITMIC. It's going to be in Vegas. Um, I'm going to be speaking on podcasting. What do you know? Uh, why would they pick me for that? Who knows? (laughs) So I'm going to be talking about building an effective podcast, especially when we're talking about professionals. I mean, if you're launching a podcast and you're talking about duck hunting, I would hope that you were a, uh, Uh, a duck hunter, I I would hope you would know something about that. But when you're, when you're dealing with professionals, I think there's another level of building podcasts, especially making it a secondary source of information that you can then have a primary source of information referenced and out of respect for those business professionals. And so I have opinions and I'm going to share those opinions at the uh, H I T M C. So look that up. H I T M C event in vegas that's in february uh, february 1st um also diversify rx uh dr lisa fast who was one of the pharmacy 50 congratulations to you lisa and all of your hard work and being recognized as your peers as a leader in our industry Uh, lisa's team at diversify rx picked up the pieces of what happened with pharmacy development services and kind of the the crumbling of that organization uh, what's amazing people that worked at PDS um, shout out to Dan Benemos who started PDS. What a great guy. And um, just a champion of, of independent pharmacy, but that organization went bankrupt. It's no longer. And there were a lot of people that had their flights and their hotels scheduled for that event. So uh, kudos to, to Lisa and diversifier X for pe- picking up that opportunity to have a conference at the last minute, to be able to organize all of that and have a a conference for our community pharmacy owners to build your business. And if you want to know how to build your business, the best thing to do is to be surrounded by other successful community pharmacists. It's, it's funny, that old adage that whoever you surround yourself, the top five people that you surround yourself on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, professionally, personally, there's something to that, that you will either, you will either be risen in 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 your profession or your job or even your spiritual life, your your marriage, your your relationships, or you'll sink. Depending on who those people are. So think about that. Think about the people that you surround yourself with. If you're in community pharmacy and if you want to surround yourself with some amazing people, uh, there's tons, There's several of them that are on the Pharmacy 50. <laughs> Um, go to the DiversifyRx conference, which is on February 15th through the 18th. And if you look up DiversifyRx event Orlando on Google, you'll definitely find it. I'll be headed to the American Pharmacists Association's annual event. It'll be the second time that we are media partner and press coverage for that event. So proud to be aligned with the APHA and a shout out to Teresa Toll, one of our pharmacy 50 uh, 50 most influential professionals and uh, influencers in the pharmacy market. Um, so that's March 24th, 25th, 26th, and that will be in Phoenix uh, Arizona. So I can't wait. March, I will be ready for some Phoenix weather. Can't wait to see everybody at the APHA. Be on the lookout for pharmacy podcast. We will have a, Um, a booth there. And if you want to participate in the program, please come see me. Uh, If you want to re if you want to prearrange it, do it. And uh, we will be looking for some subject matter expertise and some sponsors for that event. So give a shout out to us, reach out to pharmacy podcast network. And are you in specialty pharmacy? Hey, listen, specialty pharmacists, um, consultant pharmacists, and community pharmacies that want to get more into specialty, if you want to go to a business event that will knock your socks off, is that an old adage? Knock your socks off? Um, Probably is. I think I'm getting old. But if you want a spectacular event done, just one of the most amazing conferences I go to every year, it's the Assembia event. So Assembia 2023, the Specialty Pharmacy Summit in Las Vegas. I don't like Las Vegas if they had it in Orlando or even Phoenix, um, not Chicago. I don't want to go to Chicago. Uh, I just don't like Las Vegas. I think it's just, it's just not my vibe, but it's an amazing conference. So I stay in the wind. I don't go outside. I just try to stay and meet people and eat good sushi and, and visit. And that's going to be may 1st through may 4th pharmacy podcast network will be there. We're excited to cover that event as press. And, um, that is what's happening in this week in pharmacy when it comes to our um, our announcements. And I am excited to get into the rest of the show today. And um, I want you involved, by the way. So first of all, I want to talk about some news um, that that I found really interesting this week in pharmacy. And the first thing was there was a study that taps pharmacists at a, as addiction treatment options during the opioid crisis. And listen, we're not out of the woods when it comes to the opioid crisis. You know that as community pharmacists, as pharmacists in hospital systems that are seeing people come into the emergency room that have been Narcan, and you have to get them to the next level treatment. What better healthcare provider to have involved in that treatment than a pharmacist? I don't even know why every single state in the United States doesn't have a pharmacist oversight of addiction recovery and how pharmacists could impact addiction recovery. And sometimes I think it's money-driven, and this is just my opinion, where some of these centers are keeping um, patients on specific substance substances over and over again. They have counseling for these individuals, but they're not involving a pharmacist to really say, hey, is there another layer of treatment that we could take? You have to read this article. Um, I'm going to put it in, in show notes when we when we uh, broadcast out it's at WBUR.org. It's, um, it's a news organization and coverage. It was written by Martha uh, Bebinger, and it was just released on the 11th of January. Study Taps Pharmacists as Addiction Treatment Options During Opioid Crisis. If you're a community pharmacy owner, read this article because it, it could be a, a business opportunity for you to educate your community, anyone suffering with addiction, how they should be tapped into you, their community pharmacist, and guidance, especially with comorbid situations where patients are dealing with more than than one disease state. Next thing I want to bring to your attention is a headline, learn what's new in TRICARE Pharmacy Program at the January webinar by TRICARE Communications. Um, I, for one, (laughs) um, am curious about this because we know that TRICARE uh, blasted the military community by shifting their pharmacy benefits from being able to use your community pharmacy that knows you or any pharmacy that knows you and starting to funnel them into one specific uh, new pharmacy that kind of disrupts your care. Wasn't appreciated, didn't appreciate this at all. I think this is an absolute horrible move, but nonetheless, um, there's a webinar that says, learn what's new in TRICARE Pharmacy Program at the January webinar. Um, Look that up. Go to TRICARE Pharmacy Program, uh, January webinar. Just Google that. It'll come right up. This is their website that they're launching this. Obviously, this is a PR uh, move on their part. Once again, bad move from the beginning, removing your community pharmacist from so many military members and their family members who trust their community pharmacist that knows them, knows what they're going through. I think it was like I said, they pretend that it's saving money but people in the business know that it absolutely is not about that. It's really about control and funneling people to a specific pharmacy. I'm going to be opinionated on this week in pharmacy. So I'm not pulling punches. I, I call it out. I, and once again, don't appreciate what they did and changing things up, but I want to let you know that there is a webinar out there. So if you've lost patience in, with TRICARE's decisions, um, look this webinar up to really understand some of the background and, And obviously reach out to your state representative late, let your state representatives know that this is disruptive to people's healthcare, which it is. And it wasn't a good move. Lastly, before we get to our guests, uh, we want to talk about California lawsuit accuses drug makers of, um, of pharmacy benefit managers of insulin overcharging. No surprise. We know that, um, Uh, PBMs have done this, uh, for years where they overcharge and then you never find it until you're, until the PBM becomes audited and, uh, horrible that you're messing with people's healthcare, especially something as critical as insulin. But I wanted to bring this up to you. I wanted to get your, your feedback, anything that you have an opinion on, please hashtag, uh, T W I R X and make your comment and let me know what you think um but i found this article extremely disturbing and i just wanted to get it out there we're going to have guests more um on on different things and and talk about different um issues in in pharmacy plaguing sometimes um our our profession but nonetheless i do want to um talk to you about um the different guests that we're going to be bringing on and um you know, I have been podcasting for 13 years, so I have I have done thousands of interviews, and I've had uh, people on that have been just absolutely dynamic. That we have to bring on a second time to kind of get the most out of of the knowledge of what they represent in pharmacy and the profession of pharmacy. Sometimes we have to bring someone on um, a second time because I don't I don't like super super long podcasts. I think podcast and programming for me um an avid podcast listener i think my maximum is about an hour which is eventually what this uh, show will probably blossom into when we start getting uh, new segments to bring to you but this segments and this show is really dedicated to the profession so if you have ideas of segments that we're going to be bringing to you pediatrics for example uh, um, pain management. We got to have, uh, Mark, uh, come on and he's known as the pain guy. He's actually patented that the pain guy or or trademarked it, um, and really dig into specific issues or specific, um, subjects or business criteria that is impacting you as a provider, impacting you as a business owner, impacting you as a healthcare uh, professional. Doesn't you don't have to necessarily be a farm D or a pharmacist to be on the show? Absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not a pharmacist, so I'm just your greatest fan. And we expect the show to be um, collective and unifying. But we also want to make we also want to make good arguments about things that we believe in. Um, and and I'm I'm excited that we're going to have uh, multiple different uh, guests come on. There is a guest that is one of those punch in the face type of guests that we do have. And um, um, I want to introduce, if you don't already know her, um, Dr. Uh, Lindsay Elmore. Dr. Lindsay Elmore has an amazing show called The Lindsay Elmore Show. If you haven't subscribed to this show, you will be excited, especially if you're a pharmacist that is gravitating towards the world of functional medicine, holistic medicine, natural medicine, and mixing that, balancing that with um, with drugs and medications, and the fact that always staying on drugs or cascade prescribing, going from you know two medications to twenty medications, and and never um, feeling any better, but just always adding something more—that's not what pharmacy is about. So Lindsay has some amazing viewpoints, and I want to welcome uh, Lindsay to the show. So um, with that, I want to introduce the one and only Dr. Lindsay Elmore. Hey, and now I'd like to bring on Lindsay Elmore. Um, I want you to learn more about her. If you haven't heard of Lindsay, what a what a powerhouse, someone who has invested in themselves as a as a provider and um, getting to know Lindsay, she's been featured on uh, Elite. Uh, Daily, Reader's Digest, Yahoo News. Lindsay, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to This Week in Pharmacy, um, one of our special guests today. So welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to be here.
0: So it's uh, yesterday was National Pharmacist Day. So um, happy National Pharmacist Day to you. Thank you. And um you, you blow my mind because you have been at this entrepreneurial track um, for more than six years and you stepped away from the traditional role of pharmacist uh, more than 10 years ago and your natural wellness your functional medicine belief mixed in with pharmacological understanding it it's creating this next generation pharmacist but <laughs> you've been doing it for quite some time and now the public is finally realizing that functional medicine is real and that they can rely on a pharmacist to really Map out their personal uh, healthcare goal. And before I get into that, I want the listeners to understand a little bit more about Dr. Lindsay Elmore. Um, would you share your story with with our pharmacy uh, podcast listeners?
1: Sure. So when I was a child, i my mom was a single mom, and she was a nurse, and she would always take me to work with her. And I had a proclivity toward science, and I always loved to work. and so I learned how to Charts and, you know, book surgeries and just all these random things that the average, you know, 12 or 16 year old did not do. Started doing my first research projects when I was in high school. Um, got a degree in chemistry from the University of Alabama, Birmingham, and then um, ended up getting my doctorate in pharmacy from the University of California, uh, San Francisco. And then I did two years of postdoc. My first one was in general medicine, which was primarily an inpatient project. And then I did my second year residency in ambulatory care, which was where I first got introduced to this concept of really, really, really chronic ongoing disease. I mean, you hear in school about diabetes, and when you see it, when somebody comes to the hospital for, you know, a diabetic ketoacidosis, or they've got some sort of ulcerated infection, whatever it is, But when you really see ambulatory care, people walking and talking every single day with diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, obesity, asthma, COPD, autoimmune conditions, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic pain, you know, just the list goes on and on and on. And people live this way every single day. And I finally came to a point where I recognized that the medication therapy was not going to cut it. It was not going to cut it. Unless the patient truly had a desire to change their diet and change their lifestyle, it was never going to work. And so I just decided I really wanted to teach people more about how their lifestyle could help them to stay healthier longer, live more active years, and not be susceptible to an endless litany of medications. Um, It's not to say that. People don't need a beta blocker to help with their blood pressure. But what I'm advocating for is that we can choose to live a life that doesn't require 10, 12 medications. You can minimize your risk factors and really only take what is truly necessary.
0: I heard you say something on a previous program where it's this practice of adding another medication to take the place of a reaction of another medication and now you're taking the 3rd and the 4th and the 5th and the 6th to counteract the other medication and it it's it's refreshing to hear you say let's slow down and let's see what's happening in your life what you're eating what your diet is what your sleep schedule is to see if that adjustment can take away the polypharmacy you know roller coaster that so many of our 330 million Americans are, you know, experiencing, um, based on this um, machine, that I feel like pharmacists, in some ways, have been held hostage by the the machines of what is the pharmaceutical manufacturers, and I feel like there's a balance between um, the the drugs and medications that are being developed that are in clinical trials right now in the world of what's called functional medicine, but to me, it's just called medicine. It's called the the correct way to live in healthcare and, and, and looking to your physician and your pharmacist and your nurse practitioners and your nutritionists to put you on the right path to keep you healthy and to sustain and to live longer and to thrive.
1: Well, I will say for me, I I personally have never felt held held hostage by the pharmaceutical industry and like the traditional models of of dispensing. Um, because I think that pharmacists are the most highly trained healthcare professional in what is called medication de escalation. We can de escalate medication therapies more quickly and effectively than anybody else. Um, I I see people, unfortunately, I. I don't know that physicians receive as as intensive a training on how to address the subtleties of medications as well as the subtleties between the interactions between medications and how we can create greater you know what we want in medications is like this consistency. We don't want peaks and troughs, right? And because the peaks and troughs are where addiction comes into play, it's where your medication doses goes up too fast, and then you have side effects, and then it goes down too fast, and you have and you have not the effects that you want. And so, if we can really study the interplay between all of these medications, we can get something that is very well balanced. And once we're balanced then we can start working on really the underlying the underlying factors and so i think as pharmacists we're very good at getting rid of medications and making medications have greater stability so that they don't have as many you know there really aren't side effects of medications there's just effects and some of them you like and they're the ones you're after and some of them you don't like and are the ones that then you know, you've got diarrhea now, so now you've got an anti-diarrheal med, or maybe you've got a headache now as a side effect of a medication. Maybe you've got dehydration. Um, There's all kinds of, of adverse things that we don't like, but really they're just all effects. And it simply goes back to the fact that the body is not meant to be manipulated in the way that most medications manipulate the body. The way that medications work is that they go into the body, they search out one cellular receptor, Mm -hmm. and they either turn on or turn off that receptor, or they're like playing both sides of the fence. And there's something called a partial agonist where they kind of turn it on, but they kind of don't. Right. And so the problem with targeting just one receptor is that there are unintended consequences in all of the other metabolic processes that are governed by whatever receptor you've just thrown off. Two great examples of this, the first of which is Viox. You know, Viox was at the time when when Merck was when Merck was sued for um, mis-marketing Vioxx as safer than it was. Um, We we knew that we had a medication that specifically hit the Cox one receptor. The problem is, is when you block COX-1, you have all of these effects that happen where now COX-1 is also responsible for helping to not make your blood sticky. Well, if all your platelets are sticking together, all of a sudden we have all these cardiovascular effects that which we did not intend because we're shifting, um, we're shifting, uh, excuse me, I've said that incorrectly. We're specifically blocking COX-2, which leads to this overabundance of COX-1 and now every everything is so sticky. Another great example of this is statin medications. Um, Arguably, you know, one of the most overhyped medications in history, where Pfizer was criminally fined for mis- mismarketing Lipitor to bring it to market. And so we look at the mechanism of action of that drug, it inhibits an enzyme called HMG CoA reductase. The problem is, HMG CoA reductase is also responsible for the generation of CoQ10, which is one of the most powerful antioxidants in our entire body. The problem with that is a lack of CoQ10 means that your mitochondria don't function, and it leads to muscle cramps and weakness in your muscles. And so by inhibiting HMG-CoA reductase, sure, we've, we've blocked the rate-limiting step of the production of cholesterol but we've also blocked the the production of coq10 which is absolutely one of the biggest like vacuum cleaners for free radicals in our body and it sucks up all of our, our all of our waste materials and then you know viox2 selective cox2 inhibitor we push towards tox one, cox1 we make all of our platelets sticky and now we have cardiovascular problems associated with viox
0: yeah I- when I'm listening to you, the very first thing I think of is the starting point of of changing of the status quo. And I don't know if it starts in pharmacy school because these young future pharmacists who are inundated with so much stress in, in the next four, six, and eight years, if you're going into a residency, to absorb all of this information, is it at that point that they are introduced to the balance between over-medication and following the um, you know, the cascade prescribing issues that the, that the physicians uh, sometimes don't know based on the number of physicians that maybe a senior person has or a person has um, you know, that they've accessed. And the next thing you know, that's how you get on your eight and 12 medications. Where do we start educating the next gen pharmacists? I mean, programs like this for sure but in their in their succession of education, do we introduce the the world of of I don't know what we're calling it, functional medicine, you know, homopathic, whatever it is, in combination with all of the pharmacological information that they've learned over the years? Where do we start, um, Lindsay, to to kind of change the game?
1: Well, to quote my my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. John Abramson, who um He's a Harvard MD who wrote a book called Sickening. And it's all about, you know, how big pharma broke the American medical system and how we put it back together. Um, the step one is does not begin in pharmacy school. The step one is we have to have a functional democracy that is not influenced by gigantic big pharma. And we cannot allow ourselves to continue to believe that Stanley Flexner back in 1920 or whatever, when he wrote the Flexner report about what modernized medical education, um, medical education was forever changed by this Flexner report, where it used to be that you could kind of choose a medical school based on what kind of curriculum that you wanted to learn. Did you Mm -hmm. want to learn more naturopathy? Did you want to learn more homeopathy? Did you want to learn more chiropractor? Did you want to learn more um more traditional western medicine did you want to learn surgery or childbirth but when the Flexner report came out it said this is what medical education is and this is where we get the first driving force behind in functional medicine what we call the name it blame it tame it where we started systematically naming diseases and we started naming symptoms right we started naming symptoms and then we blamed it on this new disease state this disease state this disease state Mm -hmm. then what we did is we tame it with either drugs and surgery and that has been our operating instructions for more than 100 years and i think we're getting to the point now where it's just like okay we've lost track of where we began. You look back at the history of the pharmaceutical industry, George Merck, the founder of Merck, he wanted to be a nonprofit organization. He did not think that any medication that could help humanity was worth making a profit off of. Jonas Salk, when he created the first polio vaccine, when they went to him and were like, okay, so about your patent, and he was like, his exact words were, you can't patent the sun. Because what he had done was taking a naturally occurring bacteria and trained that bacteria to fight the polio vaccine. And he's like, he's like, this was just here on Earth. All I did was train it to fight the polio vaccine, uh, to fight the polio um, virus. And so we look back on it and then we lost our way and we lost our way in very specific and strategic Ways. And um, you know, John Abramson's book is great. If you really want to deep dive, Gerald Posner's book into the history of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, it's called Pharma, Lies, Greed, and the Poisoning of America. And it just, it was one of those things. You know how I I I understand that this is not true, but you know how they say if you put a, a frog in <laughs> lukewarm water and just continue yeah. to heat it up, it'll just boil itself to death. That's kind of how it's gone. It's just been one little thing at the time, one little thing at the time. And it's also trying to control a very basic, natural, evolutionary force within humans. If you read the work of uh, Dr. David Slingerland, he wrote a history of civilization and how alcohol actually helped us become more civilized. And he maintains that, you know, we need food we need shelter, and we need the ability to reproduce. The fourth most common motivator of human behavior is the desire to get high. We see it across not just humans, we see it across all primates, we see it across ungulates, we see it even in some birds, that there is a desire to seek out medicinal plants. And sometimes the medicine that's in the plant is, is alcohol from where your Mm -hmm. fruit has rotted or it's an ergot derivative that's going to send you on a psychedelic hallucination or a peyote or a psilocybin mushroom so you also have to understand the intention from the beginning of the pharmaceutical industry was actually pretty good because you go back to 1900 I don't know if parents today just want heroin and cocaine and alcohol in their children's cough medicine, because that's where we were until we started putting some parameters around drug development. But then it just became a numbers game. And the numbers game began with the discovery of penicillin when penicillin changed the world. Penicillin changed the world forever and it did take a massive government upscale and massive government funding of big pharma for the first time, because without penicillin, our, our armed forces were dying, right? And so the original intent of like, let's take taxpayer money, put it towards the development of penicillin so that our boys in uniform don't die. All right. All right. I'm with you. But then when the war is over, the government, instead of being like, that was awesome, big pharma, you guys are tiny pharma at that time because there were dozens and dozens of pharmaceutical industries. We didn't have pharmacy conglomerates like we do today. Um, Instead of saying, we appreciate that, now we're just gonna use our resources that we bought for you for another governmental operation. No, they just gave all the drug manufacturing plants to the drug companies. And just never asked for anything in return and we're talking back in like the 30s and 40s and you know you fast forward you start a dynasty that uh, a dynasty that destroyed a lot of america a lot of america and has an intimate relationship you know 60 year 70 year history of integration with the pharmaceutical industry And that is Arthur and Mortimer Sackler come onto the scene um, and they start to see pharmacy as marketing and Mm -hmm. pharmacy as sales. Whereas before this point, pharmacy was really seen as a a small town thing that you kind of concocted on your own, you know, or... Yeah, it was your own kind of compounding of your own herbs. And maybe there's a traveling salesman that came through. Maybe there was one local pharmacist in your 50-mile radius, like the, you know, you think about the crazy guy that invented Coca-Cola, uh, just compounding stuff in your neighborhood. But pharmacy began to become a machine after World War One, really after World War II, and then after the 60s. And then with birth control after that, it was just like this, this, you know, everything was off to the races. And we simply did not have, we simply do not still have enough regulatory oversight about what it, and it's not just big pharma. We don't have enough regulatory oversight about what we put into our skincare products, what we're allowed to dump into our waterways. The list goes on and on and on. And I do think that there is a solution, but we have to get financial interests out of government. And we also have to stop the revolving door between governmental agencies such as the FDA, the CDC, the EPA, between Big Pharma, Big Agra, Big Food, Big Cosmo, all of it.
0: Yeah. And and now we know from the Sackler story that um, organizations and entertainment, education or edutainment uh, shows are public like through Netflix with um, the the craziness of of the opioid epidemic and how it was lit on fire by um, the Sackler family and how they took their political control of um, divisions and people within the FDA in order to help them keep going with something that was more about marketing and business development and sales than it was about helping people um, control their pain. And, um, and of course, uh, now here we are today with a lot of red flags and the pendulum um, swings and it hurts people regardless of how, um, how uh, crazy it swings one side to the other, because now it's like, let's, um, let's lock down the decisions of the physician and the pharmacist for the individual in controlling pain with opioids versus, um, hey, let's just shut it down completely. You have a seven-day supply. It doesn't matter that you just had back surgery. You're going to have to deal with it. And, you know, people are suffering on that side. And it's like, where is that balance? And to me, based on all the data analytics that I've soaked in for 22 years in pharmacy, I see it's the pharmacist. It's the pharmacist being able to make determinations and feed that information back to our physician and saying, hey, this is what's happening with this individual patient. Uh, they're allergic. I ran a PGX test. They're not even metabolizing correctly. So let's make some changes. Let's get this person, um, their ship righted and and let a pharmacist do what they were intended to do, including, I love the the mention, I just mentioned compounding, like the art of compounding is becoming less and less and less because pharma wants to just create a one pill for all instead of saying to the druggist slash chemist slash pharmacist, hey, take some ginger root and some mint and some aspirin. And, and I'm making up something that doesn't even make sense because I'm not a pharmacist. And let's mix up a concoction for your child that has this XYZ you know issue so that we can get it under control. And I'm like, wow, like, a pharmacist that's listening right now should, in one way, be angered, and in another way, be motivated to stand up and let your voice be heard. Uh, like you've created the Lindsay Moore, Elmore Show, which is absolutely incredible. Um, to do more, to tell the public what is capable um, within the relationship between your pharmacist and your physician.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I think that pharmacists can create new roles. Um, I think we are seeing a lot of emerging evidence about the addictive nature of things like antidepressants and things like sleep aids and things like, you know, things that we used to not think were addictive. We now hear a lot of people saying, you know, I just can't get off it. I can't get, I've been on this, I've been on this antidepressant for X number of years and I just cannot get off it. And it's like friends, let's call a spade a spade here we typically think of addiction as like the opioid crisis which you know you you said that the the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma you know kind of kind of pushed it along Yeah. they engineered it hmm. they engineered <laughs> it they engineered the narrative they engineered the narrative and they've been doing it for 50 60 years at this point you're talking second and third generation people within this family that have major ties to big pharma um but pharmacists still we need to be advocating for compounding rights of pharmacists because as we have seen the peeling back of rights on compounding bioidentical hormones is something that's that's coming to the forefront and if we don't watch it we're going to have even more people on these doses of things like antidepressants that maybe there are patients out there that you can't go from 10 milligrams to nothing They may need a pharmacist to go from 10 to 5 to 2.5 to 1.25 to 0.625, you know, and on and on and on. Like, we we may need those kinds of people to help people get off of these medicines that aren't showing the classic signs of, you know, giving up everything at all cost in drug-seeking behavior, but we see this chemical dependence. We see mm-hmm. this chemical dependence where you take the drug away and the the anhedonia or the lack of motivation or the just ennui with life comes back. And the bigger problem is, is nobody's taking a step and just saying, why are you depressed in the first place? You know, yeah. um, sure. and that's How the much- fundamental difference between functional medicine and Western medicine.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, you know Robert Cress is a functional pharmacist champion, and he's like, when's the last time you went out and walked uh, in the woods and and took some time, took an hour, and called it you know medicine, called it therapy, where you're breathing in fresh air and you're like, when's the last time that's happened when you've tried to curb um, your depression? And there's there's something to that. We are biological creatures, and I think we've ignored it because of the harnessing of, um, of, uh, run amok capitalism in the world of the pharmaceutical industry. But, um, I wish we had more time with you. I'm excited that we connected on Instagram. Um, for those listening, please, um, look in our show notes. It's Lindsay Moore, lindsayelmore.com. That's Lindsay E L M O R E.com. Um, your podcast is called the Lindsay Elmore show. As a fellow podcaster, I commend not only um, the quality of your podcast, but um, the consistency and um, and the really the brilliance of of the guests that you've brought on. Um, it's just been uh, two hundred eight episode 208, mastering menopause. I've I've shared this um, specific episode with several of my loved ones and my mother. Um, it's just a uh, it's refreshing to hear you as a pharmacist as a doctor to um to step up and say hey uh the status quo doesn't you don't have to be um you know just in today's realm and and what you see on your tv commercials um there's a there's a different way and like i said i'm i'm excited that we met up
1: all right
0: Hey, Lynn, Lindsay Elmore, what a, it's just, that, that's when I think of the way that she thinks of the pharmacist, medication management, healthcare in general, we need more of that. We need more, uh, Dr. Elmore's. Um, so if you don't, if you don't know her, if you don't follow her, please do. So I have a st- uh, another special guest today that I'm excited. We've talked before. Uh, we've understood that there's um, a need to bring on uh, more subject matter experts around curbing ethics in our profession, uh, curbing the development of medications through um, through guidance and ethics and policy. And I've never even thought of a position or 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 a person that would be. Um, that would be governing this, but I wanna bring on special guest Dixie LeCocq on to uh, This Week in Pharmacy. Um, she is someone that I look up to and I'm learning from. Um, and with that, I wanna welcome uh, Dixie to the show today.
2: Hi, Todd, how are you?
0: Hey, doing great, Dixie. Thanks for joining us in This Week great. in Pharmacy.
2: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: You're very welcome. So talk to us about Peer, give our listeners an understanding of what Peer is about and what you do at Peer and how you're growing this organization.
2: Sure sure I appreciate the opportunity to spread the message about what I'm trying to do to expand you know like you said I I didn't even think about it just the thought of pharmacy ethics and how it plays a role in a pharmacist and a pharmacy team's daily life so peer stands for pharmacy ethics education and resources and i started in 2015 ironically you know you just had lindsay on as a guest and a lot of what she was talking about with just you know what we've seen over you know it's not been the last 10 20 years it's been you know the past century of you know you think about the snake oil salesmen and and the chemical companies that were developing drugs that we're using formaldehyde as preservatives and sweeteners, and then you progress into the opioid pandemic. And so in 2015, I was really looking at, I was kind of reinventing myself. My husband and I are both um, former, now retired pharmacy, independent pharmacy community owners. And oh. I was trying to think, I knew that was coming along at some point. So it's like, well, what am I gonna do with my life? and i started talking to friends and and i do enjoy public speaking and doing continuing education and i thought well if i'm gonna do this what's gonna set me apart and i started thinking about you know we just come off the new england compounding center fiasco and i um, was just newly on the board of the american college of carry so we a lot of our membership are compounders so there was a lot of conversation about the upcoming regulations and what this did and i just remember thinking like how did this even happen like what even entered their minds that this was a good idea or that nobody spoke up about what was going on in this particular environment and what does that look like in pharmacy? And what are the day to day ethical decisions that we make? We might even not be thinking of them as ethical dilemmas, and they really are. And it really started to change the way I actually, when I was on the counter and practicing, or I start thinking about, like, kind of what Lindsay was saying, you know, start thinking about what what's the root cause of this? What is the reason why we're, you know, do we really need to have a patient on all these medications? Do we really need to have a patient on all these pain medications? What can we as a pharmacist do to improve that? Uh, And just start looking at the principles of ethics that guide pharmacy by, you know, we all have this code of ethics that, we're bound by, and I found most, you know, not most, but a lot of pharmacists don't even know what I'm talking about. So I'm just trying with PEER to raise the awareness that we are making ethical decisions every day. They do affect our patients. They they affect our colleagues and the profession in general, so a lot of what I'm doing with peer is uh, just continuing education, trying to use social media to raise awareness about what those principles are and the decision-making process that we go through all the time in pharmacy. Uh, have the opportunity to be on platforms such as yours, so I really do appreciate this opportunity to be on Pharmacy Podcast and and be able to share some of this information.
0: You know, um, we could do an entire show and I think we should on ethics and bring in multiple people who I are subject matter experts <laughs> on different things. Um, uh, you know, ethics in opioid usage disorder and treatment of people suffering with that, uh, condition, um, pain management, uh, birth control, um, you know, uh, Pediatrics and and how we treat uh, children and uh, parental rights. And, you know, I mean, there's so many subjects that you could dig down into ethics and our governments have ethic committees that they'll grab topics that are af- uh, affecting public health, transportation, uh, taxes, and they have ethic committees that come together to try to come to a decision. And, and in today's super bipolar, you know, I say bipolar because it's kind of a tongue in cheek, but polarization of, you know, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. I mean, it, it's frustrating when I get on Twitter or I get it. I see what listen to the news and I see such drastic differences. And I and it what and I hate sounding like the old fogey. But um, I remember when I was younger, it wasn't that drastic of a difference i mean not as drastic as it is today and i feel like you know media and i feel like that they they just want ratings they want to sell their commercials so they love controversy so they try to rile up the liberals against the conservatives or they try to rile up you know one party against another party and it's very frustrating to be in healthcare and see that our patients are suffering for many sides of those decisions of what is the baseline and that's where i think ethics comes in because if we could have philosophers come to the table, if we could have subject matter experts come to the table and come to a conclusion to baseline something to give us a common denominator but um what what's next for peer where where can you go to to get the groundswell so that you can make this part of everyday living for healthcare professionals and well, i families? think
2: you know i mean quite honestly to exactly you know we You'd like to think healthcare isn't politicized, but I think, as you said, everything's becoming political these days. But when you think about the recent Supreme Court rulings and how that's affecting pharmacy, because now pharmacies will be able to dispense, um, abortif- abortificate, anyway, um, medications that can prompt an abortion, this is going to be the huge topic over the next year or so, at least, because this is an area where we really, you know, as a community pharmacist, we didn't have the ability. It wasn't even on our radar uh, because we weren't supposed to be dispensing these medications for that purpose. We had them for other reasons, but not specifically for that purpose. And we all, you know, you knew, I remember 20 years ago, it was, we, we, were doing it, and there wasn't a problem, and it, then it became regulated, and we weren't able to dispense them anymore. And and now we will be able to with the proper training, but it's going to create a whole nother conversation. And it's already started. Well, what if that's against your personal ethical principles? And as a healthcare provider and a provider of healthcare, how are you going to handle that situation? And It's something there's going to be real parameters for pharmacists as to what they're going to need to do for their employer, uh, how they're going to need to address this, how they're going to need to address it with the patient. Because one of the things as a pharmacist, you need to realize and understand is it our number one priority and ethical, you know, our number one ethical principle is our loyalty to our patient we're really that last line of defense between you know dispensing that medication and the patient actually ingesting a medication so you know and we can you know we really may not realize our influence on that patient as to whether they're going to take that medication and whether they should or not you know it can go either way and we need to put our personal feelings aside when counseling patients giving them truthful information giving them unbiased information making sure they're getting the all of the correct information so that they can exercise their autonomy their ability to make that decision for themselves and it doesn't just need you know it's not just a reproductive issue it's an issue about you know all medications you know we were talking about statins before and how they do make, I was actually talking about statins on a call this morning and how, you know, their patients, well, I don't want to take that. It's poison. But for a diabetic patient, you know, patient with diabetes, it can be life-saving. So how do you balance that? And as the pharmacist, what's the message we need to give those patients? Even if we agree with them, we still need to give them the science and the, background and the full information and then give them solutions as to how to address side effects or you know adverse effects or when to call for additional you know professional healthcare help or resources uh, or when to call back and say you know something doesn't seem right we need to create that rapport and if you know patients know when you're lying to them or, when, you know, when you're not quite giving them all the information, the, people pick up on that. Yeah. I think we forget that sometimes we think we're getting away with something, but we're really not. You know, it, they, people can sense when you're not quite giving them the whole story. And I, we need to be cognizant of that and realize that it really is up to our patients to make decisions about their health care.
0: Dixie, yeah. uh, I appreciate you being here. We're gonna have to have you back and really open up sure. this uh, discussion because I think there's so much more we can talk about. Uh, before we wrap that. up today, and Lindsay, I um, I, I want to know, I wanted to let Lindsay know. I, I don't know if she's watching now, but definitely you, Dixie. This book is amazing. This is written Permission to Care, written by the one and only Dr. Corey Jenks. He was just a uh, one of our guests on our podcast. He's no, he's a comedian. He's a pharmacist. He's amazing. But if you don't have this book, Permission to Care, which kind of plays into ethics, too, um, is an amazing book. I recommend this book. um, You know, pick it up. Uh, It's on, I think, Amazon or or some other place. But um, I will look for it. I already downloaded the
2: other book that was mentioned. So. Yeah, that's one of the things you know we talk about in peer is the that as pharmacists we need to continually be educating ourselves and what we were taught you know maybe 30 years ago 40 years ago 10 years ago may not be the the right information now it, you know we're constantly learning and science is constantly changing and just because yep. it was the protocol whenever when we were taught doesn't necessarily mean that's the protocol now and we need to continue looking at different points of view and making our decisions as to what is, you know, what is the right decision and how we should really be advocating for our patients. So. I look forward to continuing to talking with you. I encourage anybody who's interested in learning more about ethics and pharmacy to go to peerRx, that's two R's, peerr xorg um, I do have continuing education there um, that especially you know, if you're looking specifically for business and ethics or how to make a good decision, we've got some resources there.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dixie.
2: Thank you, Todd. Have a great day. Thank
0: you so much for watching This Week in Pharmacy. And uh, we will see you next week, next Friday. Pharmacy Friday.